Nicole. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 159. And before we even get started with this episode, we have something to tell you. Alert, alert. There's a new podcast. And surprise, surprise, it comes from the Obsessed Network, because, you know, we're obsessed with them. And it is the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan. We know most of y'all believe in ghosts, but how about Bigfoot? Do you think it's strange and fascinating that a four-year-old in Oklahoma could look at a black-and-white picture of a man in the 1930s and say, that was me, before? And then provide actual, verifiable details of the man's life? If so, Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan is about to be your new favorite podcast. Next to us. I mean, duh. Second favorite podcast. Daisy is a Tony Award-winning actor, writer, and true crime fanatic. But, like me, she's also a skeptic. Each week, she looks at real stories of hauntings, disappearances, UFO encounters, the Bermuda Triangle, near-death experiences, and anything else that feels just beyond what we can easily make sense of. She's your guide into the inexplicable details of these stories. But she's also like... Show me the receipts. So if you want to dive into the unexplained, check out Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan. You can find Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan wherever you get your podcasts. And y'all know how much we love freaking True Crime Obsessed and Obsessed with Disappeared. And this is another Obsessed Network podcast, so you know it's going to be good. Yes, and she's like a mixture of me and you. Right. She's more me than you, I think. Yes. Because she's a skeptic in true crime. Mm-hmm. So she's really awesome. Mm. But she sprinkled, like, I'm the sprinkles on top. Because she's like a like a Tony Award-winning writer, actor, all the things. Mm-hmm. Which is more you. Mm-hmm. But she's looking into all of this because she finds it interesting. So y'all don't leave us. Yeah, don't leave us. In fact, you know what? Cancel everything. <laughs> Just kidding. Go listen and tell them we sent you. Yes. Okay, let's do one more thing in business while we're at it. Let's just go ahead and tell y'all about these fucking amazing people who joined Patreon. Well, you know what? They like us. They really like us. They're not leaving us, hopefully. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they don't like the bloopers. The milk carton minis. The I survived. The bonus episodes. The Facebook lives. Discord. The extra Facebook group. The thank you letter. The thank you video. The stickers. I got nothing else. The extra slices. Oh, yeah. We're done. We're going home now. Okay. (laughs) So thank you so much, Carolina B. from the Czech Republic. Oh, my God. She's the one who did the amazing intro. Well, we think. We don't actually know what she said. Yeah. She could have been like, I'm about to go listen to Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan. She could have been saying that. I don't know. But still. All right. Vicki S. from Maryland. Allison B. from Tennessee. Ooh. Love uh, that. All right. Mm-hmm. Rebecca O. from Florida. Also, Rebecca, when we wrote all your name down, all I could think of is Miami is nice. So I'll say it twice. Miami is nice. <laughs> Miami is nice. Miami is. Oh, wait. <laughs> and then they say, I'll say it thrice. <laughs> if you're a Golden Girls fan, you know what I'm saying. Okay. Shannon B. from Pennsylvania. Lydia B. from Illinois. 
Okay. Chloe P. from Louisiana. Angela V. from Illinois. Aubrey C. from North Carolina. And Jackie J. from Iowa. But I just have to say, again, this is a perfect name. Nikki J. from IA. Again, such a good DJ name. You're right about that. I'm just saying, if you have a calling, you should do it. And you already got your handle. What, going to use a ham radio? (laughs) A DJ. Or a truck driver. Or, yeah, go, you know what? If Frequency is your favorite movie and you want to have a ham radio and connect with your father, you go for it. That was such a good movie. It was a good movie. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. We hope that you're enjoying all the bonus content. If you want all that shiz that we beep, doop, boop, boop, boop about a second ago. That I won when we were doing that. We volleyed back and forth. <laughs> well, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. And now's the perfect time to join because it comes out the first of the month. So you join, the money comes out, you get all the shit, and you know, the things. Okay, when she said volleying, I just have to say this. Oh, God. That's the only time I've ever beat Carrie doing anything like that, especially volleying. But let me tell you, normally Carrie is the athletic one of the two of us. But there was a time when not near one of us was athletic, and it was in college, and we were going to be exercising and we were at the upstairs of the, uh, <laughs> like, the center that, you know, you can exercise in. What is it called? The gym? The pain center. Yeah. Of well, all fucking things. Yeah. Well, I don't know what crawled up our ass and thought, okay, let's do this. But there was a ping pong table. And apparently we wanted to be for a scump. And, uh, yeah, mm, we might have hit the ball, like, back and forth maybe twice. But most of the time, it was one of us hitting it, and then the other one chasing it down the thing. <laughs> God, it was so bad. Like, we got a workout only because we were squatting, having to get it, come back, do it again. The other one, oh my God, it was a comedy of errors. So bad. So, so bad. Yeah, and then you remember how all the cute ROTC guys were there working out? And we were like, oh, <laughs> we're so good at this. <laughs> Let me chase the ball. Yeah, yeah. Because we weren't. Well, also, because after that, we decided to <laughs> go on the walking track because we were like, well, this wasn't that great of a workout, so let's go on the walking track. And that's when they were all like going to go on the track, too, apparently, and if you ever want to feel bad about yourself, let all the ROTC people be on the track at the same time with uh, you. Laughing you over and fucking <laughs> over and over and just, just, I mean, you know. And like, let you know some of them. It's like, yeah, see you in English. Yeah, yeah. cool. Bye. Hey, John boy. <laughs> yeah. Night. <laughs> it's like, okay, bye. <laughs> like we really like made a loop. I was like, okay, you want to go buy? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> want to go to the commons and eat breakfast? <laughs> yes, I do actually. Thanks. <laughs> Let's go before we get too sweaty and we no one wants to be around us. <laughs> you know, it's bad when the guy that you have English with is like, why are y'all up so early? <laughs> he really did. <laughs> I mean. Are we normally 
haggard and coming in late? Yes. Look, Kim laughed. This just tells you how shitty I am at life. Because Kim laughed so fucking hard at this at work. And it's not even that funny. But we were talking about that my birthday's coming up. And she's like, I always think it's the 6th. Why do I think it's the 6th? And I was like, no. I was like, actually... It was supposed to be on the 10th. Imagine that. I was late. <laughs> it's on the 11th. <laughs> and she laughed so hard. I was like, God, that says a lot about me as a human. <laughs> that she thought that was so funny. Yeah. Because I'm always late. Yeah. So my story today came from a recommendation in the Facebook group from Brittany M. And it's a good one. But it's got some twists and turns. So you're saying it's going to be more of a workout than our ping pong was? Yeah, and it's going to get your uh, heart racing more than the ping pong game. Okay, okay. I don't know. We chased that ball pretty far a couple of times. <laughs> we did. We did. And this girl wanted me to play racquetball with her. Well, I, I've never done it. Yeah, uh, I was like, sure, let's try that. And then we played ping pong, and I was like, no, we have no control over this little ball, and that girl has some strength behind her. <laughs> and no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Picture it, 1968, Newfoundland, Canada. There's a new little baby. His name's Nelson Lloyd Hart. When he was only nine months old, his mother Pearl noticed that he wasn't feeling very well and that he had a really high fever. His mother goes to check on him in his crib because she hears that he's having a hard time breathing. And when she gets in there, she noticed that he's discolored. His skin is really dark And the closest hospital is an hour and a half away. Well, by the time they finally get to the hospital, Nelson has his first full-blown epileptic seizure. Pearl says that his eyes rolled back in his head, his tongue is hanging out, he's foaming at the mouth, and this little nine-month-old baby is convulsing. Gosh. We never find out exactly what the feverish illness was, but we do know that from then on, he had epilepsy, but the epilepsy was also inherited from his father's side of the family. And so from then on, the rest of his life, Nelson has seizures and really bad kind of those what I picture from the descriptions, like grandma seizures, like like yeah. the when you think of a seizure, that's what he had, you know. Yeah, but he was okay. Well, not entirely. From what I gather, it did have a little bit of effect on his cognition. Okay, so it's almost like he had an anoxic brain injury, which is when there's lack of oxygen to the brain. So there's not like a traumatic brain injury. Like you think of when someone hits their head on something and it causes like a bleed. An anoxic brain injury is more when there's lack of oxygen because he did have, you know, he lost coloration and couldn't, you know, his coughing, couldn't breathe. So brain injury. Okay. Noted on that one. Right. Okay. And then repeated seizures throughout his life. Yeah. Well, I was thinking because one of my sister's friends, her daughter had cockle meningitis. Mm -hmm. And she had like a high fever and she had discoloration and she ended up losing her limbs and stuff from that. And cognitive issues and stuff like that. So it just kind of sounded similar. So Right. Nothing I found said specifically what the fever was from, 
but that that's when he had his first seizure. And then after that, he continued with the epilepsy. Yeah. But again, epilepsy ran in his family. Yeah. So which came first, the chicken or the egg? Right. It's kind of like that trauma awakened that trait. Right. Or whatever you want to say. So he had a really hard time growing up because of the seizures. He got teased a lot because of them, because he would just have them. They were not well controlled. And so he would have them while he was at school. And the kids would make fun of him, partly because they were scared of him. But also they teased him because of his appearance, too. But his mom's straight an asshole because... There's an interview where she said people used to tease him and tell him how ugly he was because he was. What the hell? Yes. Like, well, honey, okay, Pearl, shit. Yeah, well, honey, he came out of your vag. What well, does he look just like you, I bet, Pearl? Fuck. Yeah, like, fuck. He's half of you. God bless. Right? Like I said, Nelson had a lot of cognitive difficulties. You know, and you also have to remember, he was born in 68, so when he was in school, it was the 70s, so there wasn't a whole lot as far as developmental delays and different learning styles and that kind of thing. So he could have just, let's say, been dyslexic. I don't, just for example, I have no idea what the education was like for people with dyslexia. You know, that kind of thing. But we know way back when, you know, kids would get, slapped on the hand for not being able to read something and it was because they were dyslexic and now we understand it and we can teach them differently and know that no just because someone has dyslexia doesn't mean that they're not smart it means they learn differently and they're just as smart as every other kid in the room they just have to learn it a little bit differently you know Mm -hmm. and so I don't know how much of him with this is because he had a true intellectual disability Versus how much of it was a learning disability. Yeah. But no matter which one, he did the fifth grade three times. Oh, bless him. And so by the time he had failed it for the third time, the school came to Pearl and was like, he's 12. He cannot be in the fifth grade again. I mean, you you think about it. These are 10-year-olds or however old. You know, I mean, he's to the point where... It's like, he's too old. He's basically a teenager at this point. He's about to go through puberty if he hasn't already. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, he he needs to move. Like, you got to do something kind of thing. So Pearl is like, okay, I'm going to take him home. I don't know if she planned to homeschool him somehow. I don't know what the plan was. And the school didn't even care. They no, just, it was like their idea. Like, he's got to go. Yeah, no, I know. But they didn't even care. They just wanted him out. Right. Oh, gosh. Well, and like Pearl said, you know, you look at him and he looks healthy. But cognitively, he just couldn't keep up with his peers. Yeah. For whatever reason. But he also had you know, numerous seizures. Mm-hmm. Well, he looks healthy, but ugly, according to her. Right. Gosh. (laughs) God bless. People called him ugly. Because he was. I mean, you can be honest, but you don't have to be a bitch. Well, I mean, like, why? Just (laughs) don't comment on his appearance, Pearl. (laughs) Fuck. Unless he's a serial killer, then you could have said it. 
I mean, even then, low-hanging fruit. Still. I mean, I'm not saying I'm above it. I'm not saying I haven't done it. But, Pearl, fuck. Okay. So, this is interesting because it kind of goes along with, I think it was last week's story. Because he had a really hard time reading and he had his driver's license. Oh, yeah. But his driver's license was like his pride and joy. And he tried... Wait! How did he have a license? Well, that's the thing. Okay, I know. Hold that thought. Okay, I was about to be like, okay, now I I learned last time. Yeah, okay. So his driver's license was his, like I said, his pride and joy. Because I know here in America, you have to have been like a year seizure free. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. But I'm pretty sure you have to have been like a year seizure free to get your license back. So, I don't know what it is in Canada. I think it was like five months for my sister. But then, she ended up, she couldn't drive anymore. But so she had to go five months without a seizure before uh-huh. she, okay. I think that was, it was five months. But then, like, she couldn't and so she couldn't drive anymore. Okay. So, I was like, wait, I know yeah. you can't drive if you have seizures now. Right. <laughs> so, he got his license but he lost it a few times because of his seizures. So when he would get his license back, sometimes he would, like when he was in his 20s, not go to the hospital and not get medical help oh, when he had a seizure because yeah. he didn't want to lose his license. Yeah. So you can imagine what type of damage that can do to his brain having these prolonged seizures or whatever, you know, with no medical intervention because, okay, let's just say something as small as him just needing to go to see his neurologist and be like, Hey, I think we need to up my dose of medicine Mm -hmm. and then be like, why? And he's not even wanting to tell them, well, I had another seizure because then if they're mandatory reporters, yeah. And then they take his license away, you know? So he's not even getting the right dose of medicine, so he's still having seizures. I mean, that's all in theory. I have no idea, actually. But I'm just conceptually talking. Yeah. So by the time he's in his, like, mid-20s, he's living still with his mom, old Pearl. I want to call her Pearly for some reason. I do know a Pearly, like, in real life. But I want to call her Pearly because I feel like that fits her better. Like, I can just see her standing there like, smoking her Virginia Slims with all the fucking judgment. I don't know anyone whose name is Pearly. Really? Yes. I do, but I just feel the judgment. Like, I feel like she's standing there, like, Virginia Slim in hand, maybe a beer, maybe a Diet Coke, I don't know, and just fucking judging Oh yeah, shit out of everybody. But Pearl fits her for that to me. Because you think she might be fancy, but oh no. No, no, no. Well, like I said, living with Pearl and Pearl's boyfriend slash husband that is more like a common law husband versus like a, you know, so that's why I say boyfriend slash husband. Anyway, Nelson has no job, has no money, and he's just living there with Pearl. And I don't know what caused this fight, but one day Nelson and the stepdad get into this fight and the stepdad is like, he's got to fucking go. Like, he lives here for fucking free. I'm tired of it. He's nothing but trouble. Like, he's got to go. And so, Pearl kicks him out. 
while he's living on his own, he's living off of government assistance because again, all of these seizures, he's can't hold down a job. He can't even keep his driver's license. So how's he going to get to work, much less maintain a job? You know, so he's living off of government assistance and living in like government housing and all of that. And by the time October 1997 rolls around, he's having more and more seizures. And so what I picture is like Canada's Medicaid brings in like a home health aide to live in and help care for him. So the live-in caregiver, her name is Jennifer Hicks, and she moves in. How old is he? By this point, right at 30, like 29. And Jennifer is 32. Oh. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine that that could lead to some issues. Yeah. And it's not long before those issues arise and they become lovers. Ooh. And then it's not long before Jennifer loses her job. Oh. Yeah. And then they're both on said government assistance because neither one of them have jobs. Yeah. So then Jennifer gets pregnant. Ooh. With twins. Ooh. Yeah. So old Nelson is freaking the fuck out because he's like, oh my God. I I mean, first of all, no job, no money, no nothing. And I have twins coming into this world. Not to mention, how the fuck am I going to care for them? Because I keep having these fucking seizures. And when he would have seizures, whatever was in his hand, he would get this like death grip on. And so if it was like a... If it was something breakable, his grip would be so strong, it would literally break it in half. Yeah. Like, it could be a glass made of, like, a drinking glass made of actual glass, and he would shatter the glass and, like, cut his hand. Yeah. So, he's going, oh, my God, what am I going to do to a baby? Right. If I'm holding this child and I go into a seizure, what the fuck am I going to do? Well, eventually, the twins are born. Karen and Krista were born March 9th, 1999. Karen being the oldest, weighed in five pounds, eight ounces, and Krista was six pounds, eight ounces. That feel, which I feel like was kind of freaking big for twins, Mm. but like so little, but also pretty freaking big for twins. Is that right or no? I have no fucking idea. I mean, like full term babies come out freaking six pounds, I feel like. No fucking idea. In true twin fashion, though, it said that in the girls' room, they had two beds. But in the morning, when Jennifer would go in to, like, wake them up, that one of them would always have gotten out of their bed and crawled in bed with the other one. Aww. And that, like, that's, like, classic twin, I feel like, behavior, which is so cute to me. Have you seen those videos where it'll be, like, in a twin's bedroom, and they're, like... Because they can't figure out how the twins, like, get their beds together or get into, like, the bed with one another. And so they'll have a camera up and it, like, shows them, like, around the room all night. Uh-uh. Oh, my God. Because they always, like, get out and go to sleep in the bed with the other one because they were together for yeah. so long, you know? Around the time of the birth of the twins, Nelson was involved in a car accident. But I know what you're thinking. It wasn't his fault. And so in this car accident, he actually broke his neck. And he got paid out $25,000 in an insurance claim. 
He should have called Morris Bart. He could have gotten more than that. Oh, my God. Not an ad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> People probably don't even know who that is. <laughs> when he got the money, he basically bought a bedroom suit for the twins. You know, like cribs, changing table, blah, blah, blah. That's all he bought was $25,000? Well, okay, It's the thing said that he bought a bed, a Chesterfield, which I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's a che- uh, Canadian chest of drawers. Okay. A table set and clothes for the newborn. So I'm thinking that the table set might be like a changing table. Okay. Or unless that's actually like a table and chairs. Unsure. I hope he had stuff left over because that, it seems not a lot for 25000 But clothes too and all of that, I don't know. $25,000. Oh, God. It always amazes me when people, like, he broke his neck, but he's still alive, but yet... um, Selena got shot in the shoulder and she's dead? (laughs) No, you're still sour about that. I mean, me too. But, no, when people are, like, on movies, they snap someone's neck and then they did. Well, because it's different. It's different, I know. But then, like, also, this was on a movie... But still, Dance Academy, well, it wasn't a movie, it was a TV show, Dance Academy, this ballerina, she broke her back, but she could still walk, you know? And I know you're like, duh, Donna, because you deal with that all the time. But I am telling you, before this, I was like, how the fuck you walking? Uh, Someone needs to get in that writer's room. And then knowing about your job, I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's, that is, okay. That didn't make sense to me. Like, no, you broke your back, you're... Like, paralyzed. No. You know, Yeah, you, I get what you're saying. You but broke your neck, and you're paralyzed or dead. Right. No, because you can break the bone and not damage the spinal cord. Yeah, and that, it just doesn't make sense to me in my head. And right. so, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. No, I totally get what you mean, though. But it's literally breaking the bones versus having spinal cord injury and then you have like incomplete spinal cord injuries where there's just like part of it's got damage and then there's complete where there's like a complete like it's there's like a complete severing of it yeah so there's varying levels of disability depending on how much of the cord is damaged and at what level so you could have someone with the same level meaning like level of the spine of spinal cord injured But depending on how severe the injury is, whether it's complete and incomplete, and then how, like, let's say what percentage of the incomplete there is, would be how much disability they have. Oh. Yeah. I am not medical. I'm just saying, though, I have been able to diagnose myself on WebMD. You did, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, remember that they are on government assistance. Okay, so you know how here, y'all are like, Carrie, can you stop with the medical shit, please? But you know how here, like when my grandma was going into the nursing home, and if she, like when she was going to get on Medicaid, because she was going to live in the nursing home, you had to go through the Medicaid spend down. Basically, you had to give Medicaid yeah. all your fucking money so that they would pay for you to go to the nursing home. Yeah, because it's hella expensive. Right, and so you can only have like a certain amount of, of money. Well, it's the same way with what they were on, too. So when the social services or whatever the government money thing that they were on found out that he had gotten that $25,000 insurance 
claim, they were like, okay, give it, give it to us. It, it's ours. Like your own government assistance. You can't have that a much money. It's, it's ours. Give it to us. And he's like, I've already fucking spent it. And they're like, mm, sell the shit and give us the money. Whoa. So he had to sell all that furniture that he had just bought for those new babies and then give the government that money. And so it just kind of sent him in a downward spiral. Yeah. He was never really good with money. And I don't think that the relationship was ever really great with Jennifer. There was some. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He got in a wreck and broke his neck and got that settlement. Like, he should be able to keep that money. I don't know if he was able to keep some. I don't know if he was able to keep. I don't know if he was able to keep any. It didn't sound like he was. Yeah. But they're also like, well, we're paying for your house and your food, like your housing, food, everything for you to live on. So... You got to pay us back. I mean, I get that, but like put him on a payment plan of something or like whatever, but like what he, what, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like he didn't win, he didn't play the lottery and win and do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I get that. Okay. So like I was saying, things weren't wonderful with Jennifer Way, way, way later, some alleged abuse comes out, but literally that happens, like, way later that we hear about that. Never heard anything about that now, and social services was heavily involved in their lives at this point, so I kind of feel like if there was abuse, we might know about it, but I could be wrong, because Nelson started gambling really bad at this point. Well, damn, funny I say lottery, huh? I know. It was to the point where social services told Jennifer, basically, you get to keep the girls or you get to keep Nelson. Oh, wow. So that's why I say, like, social services was heavily involved. Yeah. So I feel like there may, I just, I don't, I don't know. But again, over gambling, like, I just don't know. I mean, they were very very poor and i don't mean that in the elitist like the way i mean they didn't have they were hungry they were didn't have a bed to sleep in you know i mean they were relying on the smallest amount of government assistance you know i mean they were barely making it by and then what they did have he was spending it gambling but at this point i think that they were just trying to make the best of a bad situation And on August 4th of 2002, Jennifer and Nelson, they had planned to go to this annual festival that's in their town called the Gander Day. They live in Gander, Newfoundland. Is it about ducks? I don't fucking know. Oh. Also, did she take, so she took Nelson, not the kids? No, they're, I don't, they didn't, there's no decision yet. Oh, okay. There's no, like, there's no, like, we're still, like, in peril. Okay, 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 okay. Like, it was more of a threat than, like, a, you have to make this decision now. It was more of, like, a, if things don't get better, you will have to decide kind of thing. So, like I said, they're trying to make the best of it. They're going to Gander Day. At this point, Karen and Krista are three years old. Jennifer has the girls dressed, and they and Nelson are ready to go. But Jennifer still has to get dressed. 
And Nelson knows that it's going to take her like an hour to get ready. And even though he doesn't spend time alone with the girls because of his seizures, he asks the girls, like, what do y'all want to do? And they're like, we want to go to the swings. Well, the area where they were going for this festival has this new little part on Gander Lake that has swings and all that built. Like, it was like literally just opened. And so the girls say that that's where they want to go. And so he's like, look, I'm going to take them there. The swing literally had been there just days. Like, I'm going to take them to the swings. We'll meet you there. So Nelson takes the girls to Gander Lake, which is about 10 kilometers west of where they live. And this is where the story takes a turn. According to Nelson, when they get there, he takes Krista out of her seat first puts her down on the ground, and then goes to get Karen out of her seat. As soon as he puts Karen down, he says that that's when he has a really big seizure. And that all he can remember is seeing the girls run. But he can't remember where they were running. He can't really remember if they were running towards him or towards the water But he knows that when he's having a seizure, the girls are really scared of him. And so they often will run away from him. I feel like by three, they should have been more prepared. Y'all can't see my face, but I'm giving her a a what? I don't know. I'm not around kids. (laughs) I don't know anything about kids. Sit back. But (laughs) no, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. If he had seizures all the time. That would still be so scary for a three-year-old. I mean, think of Allie. Yeah, but it's different when it's your parent. Exactly. Yeah, but I think if it's like you're in this different place and your parent is like on the ground shaking like that, it's like. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't. I think that it's reasonable that the kids would be scared. What they did from there, I don't know. I think it's reasonable that the kids would be scared. Would they run to the water line? Probably not. No. But it's reasonable that they would be scared. So he says that when he came to, he saw that Krista was in the water. Well, Nelson can't swim. So he says all he could think about is, where's Jennifer? Where's Jennifer? But Jennifer's not there because he's in the fog of the seizure. So he's not really thinking clearly. And so he gets in his car and goes home to go get Jennifer. When he's on his way to the house to get Jennifer, he goes, oh my fucking God, because he's starting to like clear up out of the fog of the seizure and goes, fuck, Karen's there too. So he goes, he gets to the house, gets Jennifer and says like, oh my God, like the girls, brings her back to the lake. They are flying as fast as they can back to the lake. When they get there, they find Krista in the water and she had kind of drifted into the middle and they couldn't reach her. But Jennifer can't swim either. So she starts looking around for Karen And Nelson drives to a gas station to call for help. 
No one else is there at this place? No, they're kind of off in like a secluded area. Okay. When paramedics get there, they are able to get Krista out, who at this point is actually still alive. What? You know Nelson is freaking his freak because he's like, oh God. They ended up finding Karen in the water about 10 meters away, and she is pronounced dead immediately. Mm, Bless her. They have to put Krista on a ventilator, and then the next day, because she's brain dead, they take her off of the ventilator, and she dies the next day. So sad. It's fucking a heartbreaking story. So, of course, police come, the whole shebang, and they're immediately suspicious of the whole thing Mm -hmm. because there's tons of red flags. Yeah. And they take Nelson with them to answer some questions. And when he's in the car, he says, I love my daughters, my own flesh and blood. And then he goes into another seizure, like in the police car. There wasn't a whole lot that I could find on what really was said in that first interview that day. But we do know that he didn't immediately tell police that he had a seizure when they got there. Of course, the police, like I said, they're like, something's not right. And so they want to know, like, why'd you go home and get Jennifer? Why didn't you call for help? Mm -hmm. It's 2002. You had not one, but two cell phones in the car. Oh, wow. So he said that one of the cell phones didn't have any minutes on it. And then the other one wasn't his. So what I'm going to do this story, like while I'm telling this, is I'm just going to kind of jump back and forth playing devil's advocate the whole time. Because I'll never remember all of my points to be like, okay, well, okay. So just know that I'm not saying, I'm not supporting him. I'm just playing devil's advocate on some of this, okay? Okay. I can understand why he would have a cell phone with no minutes. If they were truly, I mean, they they were truly, they had no money. Mm -hmm. So if they were paying like minute for minute for like on a cell phone plan like that, it's legit that he could, it's an easily checkable Mm -hmm. thing. I don't know if they checked it, but that's an easy thing to check. I thought like 911 was free though. Well, yes, but with him, did he have the cognitive capabilities to know all of that? Like, did he, you know what I mean? Well, and then like with the other phone, he's so concrete, like with his cognitive deficits, that phone's not mine. Therefore, I can't use it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So again, I'm not saying either one of those are correct. I'm just saying in a perfect storm, I've been with patients when they've had huge seizures and it does take a minute for your clarity to come back. It's not, you don't come out of it just thinking clearly, you know? I mean, it Mm -hmm. it takes a minute. If he had one. Right. But my point is, if he really did have one, it really does take a minute for you to think clearly. So... But he didn't have one. You know, and the other thing, too, is it's like, you drove past all this stuff. You literally drove past the fucking hospital. Like, you drove past all these things to go get Jennifer, who doesn't swim. Yeah. 
again, back to the not thinking clearly, okay, but... But it's a hospital. Right. Like, that... It's a hospital. (laughs) Right. Well, it wasn't until, like, two weeks later that he finally said, okay, 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 okay. See, I had a seizure. Don't take my license away. That's why. That's what it was. He was like... Fuck you, dude. Fuck you. You lost your kids. You're going to lose your fucking license. Right. Because your kids would be alive then. If you want to say this, your kids would be alive if you didn't drive them then. Right. And the other thing, too, is it's like, well, you had a seizure in the police car. So... Either way, mm-hmm. you were going to lose your license. So, like, why didn't you just say, like, I had a fucking seizure? You know, like, yeah. why did you wait two weeks? Because whether you had one before the like before the kids drown, quote unquote, quote unquote, well, were drowned or drowned, yeah, aka were drowned mm-hmm. before they did that. I mean, like, ha- you know what I mean? Yeah, you had a seizure in the police car. So, either way, you were going to lose your license. Yeah. So why didn't you just fucking say? Uh-huh. So that was a little, oh, that's weird, yeah. right? God, that makes me want to slap him so fucking bad. Right? He's the fucking, he's the fucking worst. Okay. Like, don't take my, don't take my fucking license. Yeah, I lied because I didn't want to lose my license. Well, your kids didn't want to lose their life. So yeah. So there's that. And again, y'all, I'm saying he did not have a seizure. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Allegedly, don't sue us. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if, let's say he did have a seizure, he shouldn't have been able to drive for, like, i.e., they wouldn't have been able to go to the lake and they would all still be alive. But he didn't have a seizure. He did that himself. Well, no matter what angle the police came from, they had no evidence. There was literally nothing to prove that he drowned Karen and Krista. No cameras or anything? No, nothing. So the wow. case goes cold. Nelson and Jennifer continue on about their lives. They're having a hard time. They're continuing to try to make things work, living on government assistance, and not even able to make ends meet. I mean, to the point where... They haven't even put up headstones for the girls because they can't afford it. And they don't even have a bed in their apartment because they have no money. Well, one day, Nelson is out and about and he meets this guy who pulls up and is like, hey, I'm looking for my sister. I'll give you 50 bucks if you can help me find her. Nelson's thinking, absolutely i'll help you look for him and the guy gives him like a you know he has like a whole story like i'm looking for my sister she's a drug addict who's been gambling here in the local bars my mom's got lung cancer lives over in montreal she just wants to see her daughter before she dies like i'll give you 50 bucks like can you just help me kind of thing like the whole story so nelson helps him look for the sister the guy introduces himself and says his name is sob so Nelson and Saab look for the sister, and they end up not being able to find her. But Saab goes ahead and gives him the 50 bucks, buys him a carton of cigarettes, and is like, here, you know what? Thank you so much for helping me look. Like, I really appreciate it. Man, just take the money. Well, the next day, 
Sav gets back in touch with Nelson. And he's like, okay, well, I think this is how this went down. Hey, man, like, thanks for helping me out. I really appreciate it. I liked you. I got another opportunity for you to make some more money. He's like, I've got this package at a hotel that I want you to get and deliver it for me. And Nelson's like, uh, I know that's drugs. You know, he's like, mm, I don't know how much I want to do this. So he's like, Dee, doop, boop, boop, boop. hey, uh, Pearl, what you fucking think I should do? And Pearl's like, uh, I don't fucking know. Let me call the RCMP, which is like the Canadian Mounted Police. So Pearl says that she calls the Mounted Police and allegedly she talks to a constable who tells them, quote, if he's foolish enough to pay you, then let him. Allegedly. So Nelson takes Sav up on his offer and gets the package from the hotel, makes a delivery, gets some cash. And this starts a new friendship of basically kind of being like a little bit of a drug mule and doing just all kinds of sorts of little jobs like that. Like just kind of the skinny underbelly type jobs of low man on the totem pole kind of jobs like that. He would even do stuff, though, like like having to take a car to a location. You know, it wasn't always packages. Sometimes it was vehicles. Sometimes it was U-Hauls filled with stuff. You know, it was just, it was all kinds of different things. I mean, always probably drugs in the cars. And or stolen goods. Yeah. Sometimes Jennifer got to go along, too. And when they would go on these trips, sometimes it would be to different places, and they would get to stay in hotel rooms for free and they'd get free food. They were getting exposed to this new lifestyle with money and access to this kind of free-flowing cash. And again, just all these perks and freebies and that on somebody else's dime. And they were loving it. I mean, they get a bed. And probably a comfy one, too. They eventually made enough money doing all these jobs for Sav that... Nelson was able to pay for a $4,000 headstone for Karen and Krista. And it was like engraved. They had, you know, like Winnie the Pooh dolls and, you know, all this stuff like on the headstone. He got him a car and a bed and all of that with the money. Just was buying stuff for the house and, you know, nothing like extravagant. Just was buying the necessities. But then... Nelson started seeing the darker side of the activities that he was helping with. He and Sav were at a hotel in Ottawa when there was a customer there of Sav's who was an American. Sav and the American guy were doing some business. Sav slaps him across the face and tells Nelson to go to the bathroom and get this suitcase that was like full of $100 bills. And so he's like, oh my God, this is like, I've never seen this much money. But when Nelson comes back, he sees that like Sav's hand is all bloody, like where he's like beating this guy. And Sav's like, you got to do what you got to do to get the job done. Would you pull the trigger? And like, he asks Nelson that and Nelson's like, you know, I have no problem with it. If I got, you know, kind of like if I've got a, got a kind of thing. Well, the more they worked together, Sav was telling Nelson about this big boss that he worked for. Basically, this big boss was the one that was in charge of everything. 
Sav told Nelson, like, okay, you're like you're getting more involved with everything. You're seeing some stuff. The boss wants to make sure like everything's cool, like everything's on the up and up. Like you're not gonna rat us out and make sure that you're not gonna cause a problem because you you got some history, man. Like you know, people aren't gonna be weird about you like because people think you killed your fucking kids you know like we gotta like he wants to he wants to meet like he's got he wants to make sure that you're you're not gonna be a fucking problem and so nelson's like butthole clench like ooh, like i gotta okay gotta meet the boss fuck who's this guy like picture like a fucking movie mob boss you know so the meeting is set up and nelson finally meets him and all he knows is that the boss goes by the name Mr. Big. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? That's what he's called. <laughs> okay. So, the boss is like... Real creative. That's what he is. Right. So, the boss is like, okay, you know, we want to make sure we're not going to get some fucking heat about you... And the death of your daughters. Tell me what happened. Nelson tells him, like, I never hurt my daughters. You know, I'm an epileptic. Like, I had a seizure. And the boss is like, oh, no, no, no. Like, don't don't go lie to the boss. Like, I fucking, don't fucking lie. Don't fucking, don't play a player. Like, don't fucking lie to me. I know you fucking did it. Like, tell me. You know? And so, Nelson is like, this guy, he's like, this fucking boss dude of this like criminal fucking empire like he's like sitting here across from me wants me to fucking tell him you know i gotta tell him that i killed the kids so he tells mr big that he bumped the girls in with his shoulder off the pier basically the wharf into the water so a couple of days later Mr. Biggs makes him go with him to the wharf and they take this guy named Jimmy and they make him show how he did it like on Jimmy. Well, and then he showed like Jimmy knelt down to like be the kind of be like the size of the kids and he like kind of need him into the water how he did the kids. And so the boss is like, okay, Mr. Biggs like, okay, you know, like I'm satisfied with this, like, he, I mean, he ain't going anywhere now. Like, they got him because he's not going to tell on them as a crime organization because now they've got something on him kind of thing. Why was this not an issue before? Stay with me. Just stay with me. So, a couple of days later, Sav tells Nelson that they have someone that's, like, causing some problems about Nelson and that they're going to take care of him. And Nelson's like, uh, I don't want to be any part of a murder. And they're like, no, it's fine. We'll take care of him. And Nelson's like, but like, I, I still want an alibi for it. So like, hit me up before you do it. So like, I can make sure I'm like at the, at the Walmart and got like on camera. Okay. So just, just let me know before you do it though. Okay. And so he and Jennifer go to. Are, are they like undercover cops doing this shit? So he and Jennifer go to Walmart. Oh, like legit Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> so he and Jennifer go to Walmart so they can be like, hey, to the cameras while this is happening. Well, the next day, so this is on June 13th of 2005, Nelson is supposed to be going to the airport to pick up a plane ticket on some 
errand that Sav had him doing. Mm -hmm. And the RCMP show up and arrest him for the murders of Karen and Krista. Nelson's like, what the, what? What are you talking about? Well, Mr. Big was a sting operation. And the operation itself is known as Mr. Big. And it is a very controversial sting operation that is actually not allowed in the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany. A lot of countries have outlawed it because they say it's unconstitutional. And we'll get into it in a minute. But you can still do it in Canada. So this sting operation took four months and they spent almost like $413,000 on this sting operation to recruit Nelson into this fake organized crime operation to get him and Jennifer to go do all these things to get him because that's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. Mr. Big, which by the way, when I first heard this operation was called Mr. Big because Nelson is uh, an extra large pizza, I was like, those motherfuckers. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it's what it's always called. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's what the whole, that's the premise. They create a fake, like organized crime ring to entice somebody in and then let them climb the ladder of the fake organized crime ring and then to create loyalty, make them confess something, the crime they're trying to pin on them, make them confess that to the boss, Mr. Big. So that's the whole concept of this sting operation. So, Mr. Big, like, seriously, I I rolled at that because that's so stupid. Like, if someone said, this is the boss, Mr. Big, I'd be like, okay, I'm walking out. This is so dumb. Of course, Nelson is like, I didn't fucking do this. I just said that because I thought Mr. Big was real. Like, he was this crime boss. That was This was supposed to be this, like, international crime ring. He could have killed me. Yeah. He, I'm sitting in front of him, and he's like, don't fucking lie to me. And I'm going to put a fucking horse's head in your bed. Don't fucking lie <laughs> yeah. to me. And so I told him I killed the kids, you know? Right. But they have it all on video, all the things. And so Nelson went to trial and was found guilty of the murders of Karen and Krista. I don't back this up, but I back him up being the murderer, but not being convicted on this. Because that's just like being, the word I usually can't say, coerced. Yeah. You know, like if someone's like, tell me basically what I want to hear or I'm going to kill you. You can say, I don't know what you're talking about. And you literally don't know what they're talking about. But then you're finally going to lie. Right. And just tell them what you think they want to hear. Exactly. So you get away from it. So like I said, he was found guilty and sentenced to like 30 years, I think, in prison. Which was the is the maximum Canada allowed. Okay. I was like, 30 years? That's it? Yeah. I could be wrong exactly on the amount, but I think so. But it was the number I'm wrong on, but whatever it was, it said the maximum amount allowed. Okay. So, again, the Mr. Big operations are very, very controversial. Obviously, it's extremely expensive. Yeah. 
$400,000. I mean, let's just take away like, you know, all the ethical shit. Let's just mm-hmm. talk about the fucking cost alone. $400,000. And not guaranteed to work. Right. Not to mention the manpower. You're putting people in danger of undercover, all the things, right? Yeah. The other thing is like exactly what you were saying. I mean, it's the constitutional violations was what most people are saying. Like in the United States, obviously, it goes against our constitutional rights and it you get false confessions and the coercion and all of that. And so, and when you look at him specifically, you know, you have someone that was in extreme poverty who was then elevated out of the poverty because of the sting operation. I mean, of course he's going to fucking go along with it. Yeah. So he's going to tell you, Mr. Big, no, I didn't kill my kids. Can you can you cut me off from the money and all the things, you know, and, and then I'll literally like lose the, the bed I'm laying in? Right. Like, let's take out the fact that, yeah, he probably actually really did drown his kid. Like, let's just take, like, let's look at this from like an, just like a global, just looking at the, the Mr. Big yeah. thing as a whole. It's a bad idea. Yeah. And when you have so many places that are like, nope, nope, this is bad. This is really bad. Like, come on, Canada. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like Canada is usually like way ahead of us with yeah. things. And this is like the only thing where I've been like, really? Like, usually I'm like, oh, yeah, of course Canada figured that out before us. Yeah. You know? Well, and also, like, no one's just going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to tell them the truth, and they're going to let me out alive. You know, this is a huge criminal organization. They think Mr. Big is going to kill them because now they've seen too much. Exactly. So they're either going to lie and tell you what they want, you know, you want, or they think... Okay, I'm going to die. You know, so, okay, let me just lie. Right. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So, Nelson appealed, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And this is actually a huge case when it comes to setting precedent against the Mr. Big operations. Really? This was, the I think, the first case that the Supreme Court was like, yeah, no, you can't use that confession. Wow. And threw it out. Wow. So the Supreme Court overturned his conviction. So basically, they vacated his conviction, and they had to decide whether or not to try him again. Well, that confession was literally the only piece of evidence that they had against him with the deaths of Karen and Krista. So the crown is what like, you know, it's the crown decided that they weren't going to charge him again. So he served nine years before the appeal went through and they vacated his conviction. But then while he was in prison, for those nine years, he had a couple of run-ins with guards. So once he got out, he actually faced a couple of charges for threatening officers. So his court battles weren't done. He ended up getting basically through two different 
charges of threatening an officer, basically like 90 days of house arrest and a year of probation. I would have been like, time served. But a couple of times, basically what it boiled down to was tensions were fucking high. And when they came and like put his lunch tray in, it would fall on the floor. And he just got his, I'm not defending him, but he just got his fucking belly full of it, pun intended, (laughs) and fucking lost his shit. And it's a pretty interesting video because, I mean, you, it's a silent video of the jail and you can see him lose it because he like throws a like a tea kettle at this tv on the wall and like all these guards surround him to like take him down and all this stuff and like he threatens to kill an officer and all that and so he gets in trouble for that and it kind of spurred a conversation in my head of do you think he should get in trouble for that like let me let me rephrase that he was only in prison because of the Mr. Big stuff. Right. And if that conviction was vacated, should he still be sentenced? Like, should he still have all of this legal trouble based on that prison sentence that should have never potentially happened? Yeah. No, I don't agree. That's why I said time served, like, before. No. But also, you're responsible for your actions. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So he wouldn't have been there had they not used a coerced confession. So he should have never been in the prison to begin with based on that confession. Mm-hmm. So it sh- he should have never been put in that position to have the fight with the officers. However, at what point is he responsible for his own actions regardless of his location? Look, you know, just yeah, oh, it's, it's just oh, a yeah, food yeah. for thought. Like, yeah. there's no right or wrong answer, and I mean that could be. I mean that it could get heated on both sides of what your opinion is. Yeah, just, it was just food for thought. Like, is that fruit of the poisonous tree kind of mm-hmm. thing? Of can you just let fucking bygones be bygones at this point? Like, for just sure. wash your hands of it. Just move the fuck on. Now, here's the thing, too. Did he physically like hurt any of the guards? From what I saw, no. Because that is a difference to me, too. Like, you know, there's some right. people who, you know, like, stab guards, get in fights no. with the guards, do no. all that. That is not okay. Throat feces and no. Right. No. From everything I saw, it was more verbal and him, like, throwing, like, a tea kettle at a TV. It right. was more like an outward aggression, not at somebody. Yeah. Also though, the argument can be made if he killed his fucking kids, let's get everything out of him we can. Mhm. I mean, he deserves to be punished. Right. Kind of thing. Right. And like a Al Capone thing, let's get him for what we can get him for. Right. But also you can't because you've already falsely imprisoned him, quote unquote, because right. You have nothing on him. Right. You know what I mean? Like Well, and that's and you know This is where, again, emotions can get very, very high with this case. Because if you look at it emotionally, there are two children who are dead. And that really is the bottom line, is that there are two children that are dead. It's fucking heartbreaking, and you want someone to fucking pay 
But if you look at it from a logical and a legal side, you have to be careful. It's a slippery slope. And if you allow these coerced confessions like this in, where do you then draw the line? Because it's always somebody's kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it, okay, well, then what's the cutoff age? Yeah. You know, and so 18, okay, well, what if that 18 year old's in college versus in high school? What makes that 18 year old? But, you know, yeah. and so it's like, we're, it's a slippery slope. And what's the cutoff of the coercion, you know? Mm hmm. To me, it kind of goes back to my thing with, like, making a murderer. That documentary, Stephen Avery may have fucking done it. He probably did, he probably did kill her. But if you look at amount of reasonable doubt, and if you look at the amount of unethical shit that happened, and if you look at the chain of custody of evidence and all the legal things that went wrong... You cannot convict within a reasonable doubt. Right. Same thing here. You have to look at it from the legal definitions, and it's not fucking fair. That's the problem with our systems, is that it's not always fucking fair. And this is the one time of very few times that it may actually benefit the criminal. Yeah. Hopefully that park has put up cameras. Nelson and Jennifer aren't together anymore. She did write a book with a local journalist named Colleen Lewis. And the book is called Mr. Big, The Investigation into the Deaths of Karen and Krista Hart. And in that book is where they go into the alleged abuse that I talked about. I feel like there was just so much more I wanted to say about everything. But do you think that he murdered him? Yes. I do too. And I really have no, like, I just want to do like asterisks allegedly because I also don't want to get sued, but because there's, there's literally no evidence, but also like they just ran into the water. Like it makes, it doesn't make any sense. Right. But I can also justify everything in my head, but it's like perfect stormy. Like it would literally have to be a perfect fucking storm of, yeah, I can, I mean, you know, I can see with his, this, you know. Yeah. It's rationalizing every single step. Yeah. Perfect storm is what I mean. Yeah. But like, why? Why that day? Like, why? Maybe because most of the people would be at that festival and not around. Right. But what made him go to killing them? Because probably, this is just me talking out loud, but if Jennifer told him, like, look, you have to get your act together because social services, you know, I don't know the timeline, you know, but yeah. it was like, you are the kids. Like, they're going to take the kids away from us. And it's kind of that mentality of, well, the kids would be better off dead than with someone else. Yeah. You know? Be, yeah. And it's like, that that was the thing. And so it was just that, that time, yeah. you know, like... Perfect. She's not ready. Oh, I'm going to take him to the thing. Because, like, why? He's never been alone with the kids before. Right. Doing that thing. Why? And then, honestly, that makes me go, hmm, Jennifer. Hmm. Uh, you know. Because he's never been alone with the kids, and you're just going to be like, oh, okay. Go drive- take him to the lake. Yeah. Go drive with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh-uh. How was she going to get there? 
Yeah. That's, that a, just that's a good that, damn question. That literally just dawned on me. How is she going to get there? Right. I guess in an hour, they were just going to go back and get her. Oh, that's my pet peeve, having to wait on people, and I'm always fucking late. <laughs> you know? I am a late person, but I hate having to wait on people. So if I was Jennifer, I'd be like, oh. Well, and like, it even said, like, they also had a very, like, I don't. I don't want to say codependent relationship because what do I know? But I mean, besides codependency, because hello, me and you. Hello. Also, your new relationship. You don't know me. (laughs) But he would call her from prison so much, he being Nelson, her being Jennifer, that it was not uncommon for them to have $400 in bill, like, like collect bills, like collect calling bills. Yeah. What? How in the fuck could you afford that? And you could afford a bed. Also, the girls wanted to swing. That was the whole point of them going there. So why would they have not run to the swing? Yeah. Why would they go to the water? water? I feel like if they were like, oh, I'm scared, they wouldn't be like, oh, let's go to the water. They would at least go to the swing or to that area. Right. Well, and again... To further that point, being that Jennifer and Nelson, both of them couldn't swim, Mm -hmm. it's not like, okay, let's take my niece, Allie, who, when she was three, she just turned four, she has literally no fear of the fucking water because she has grown up in and around swimming pools. So she has no fucking fear. She will go straight to the fucking diving board to jump in. And we're like, wait, you know? Yeah. So... But that's because she's been around them so much that she has that learned non-fear, question mark, if that's the word. Whereas those kids, their parents don't know how to swim. So it's not like they have spent all this time in water. Right. So why would that be the first place they would go? Right. It wouldn't be. Yeah. That just seems so strange to me. All of it. And just... Very convenient. It's like, right when I got Karen out, I had a seizure. And I saw Krista running away, and then I forgot Karen was there. And then when I came to, I went to get my wife that can't swim when I had two cell phones in the car and passed the hospital. Yeah. What? And it's like, okay, I get the brain fog because he really did have epilepsy. So he knows exactly what to say because he really does experience it. Mm -hmm. But at that moment, sir, you didn't. Because even then, like, those are your kids. And I kept wondering, okay, so when you were on all of these alleged heisty type errand boy things for this fake mob, you didn't have seizures? Right, right. Like, why would the mob entrust these, like, high-risk missions to someone who couldn't even be alone with their kids because they may have a seizure? Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know enough about seizures to know the medication and all of that, but I feel like in 2002, it should have been way better controlled than that. I feel like it, too. Because, I mean, I know that, like, our experience, like, with your sister's, her seizures were different because it was tumor-related versus mm-hmm. someone who had true epilepsy. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. 
Okay, so again, I know nothing about children. We know this. When I'm like, at three, they should know better. I still stand by that. I feel like if you grow up with a parent or a sibling, family member who has any type of medical condition, you are taught like, okay, when this happens, it's it's not scary. It's okay. We need to help. Or it's, right. it's normal if they do this or, you know, like whatever. Even if, I mean, it's just what it is. And I'm not saying at three, they would have been like, okay, we need to roll him on his side. We need, you right. know, like that. But it would have been more. But if it was their first time without their mom there, yeah. they could have been more frightened. Yeah. But I mean, then you have kids who were sitting with their dead parents' bodies and stuff. Right. You Absolutely. Know? So I just don't see them run into the cliffs of the lake kind of thing. But anyway, I don't know kids. So, i.e., I don't know parents. So when do, like, instincts take over? Like, how does that, you know what I mean? Like, if he saw Krista in the water, even though he can't swim, like, he drove off. I don't know. Because you would think that he would just fuck it and run and just jump in and try to to get them. But we don't know how deep the lake is. And it's lake water. It's not like a swimming pool where Oof. you can see how deep that, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, the only person I would jump in to save? Marley, I fucking know. You've told me. I said person. Your mama. I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the only living person. I mean, the living thing. <laughs> Marley, I know. <laughs> I would like to think that you do what you got to do. I feel like, I mean... At 30-something years old, he at least knows how to fucking doggy paddle. Look, I'm an extra-large pizza. We float! He's an extra-large pizza. We float! I can't, I can't sink. I'm the unsinkable Molly over here. I can't touch the bottom even if I tried. I don't know. I like to think that I would just fucking jump in. I mean, again, I don't have kids either. I don't know. I know that with my family, I just jump. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when something's happening, I just go. Yeah. When they're falling, when they're it, literally anything. Yeah. I go. That's my instinct at work. That's my instinct, you know, like with a patient, with a family member, with a friend. Like, I'm a just go and figure it out when you get there mm-hmm. to help. And then, again, instincts just kind of kick in. Not everybody's like that. Not everybody's built for a crisis. But, you know, sometimes you're not built for a crisis. Like, your instinct was to just yank your crooked pinky (laughs) out of my earring when you wanted to feel my donut earring. And it ripped it out of my ear. That wasn't a crisis. It was when you said... It created one. When you said, oh! No, I said... She said that she felt it and she thought it was going to get no, sucked. That's I what said you that, said. I, no, I said that had to have been what happened. I, I don't know. It processed too quickly. Look, she panic pulled, y'all. I panic things sometimes. Uh huh. But I just say that I don't really. I did panic. It's more with my sing. It's more in my handwriting. I panic. Look, I don't know why. I, I, she's like, I want to put my finger in your donut. And it wasn't can sexual. You, I was going to say, can you clarify that that was your earring donut? <laughs> it was in Not a your thank box you. donut? It was in a thank you video. If y'all haven't seen it, it's on our Facebook group, y'all. And 
seriously. My finger got stuck in her donut and (laughs) I yanked and yanked it out of her ear and it was a disaster and I cried hard. Uh Uh-huh. Because her ear bled. Because she's on blood thinners. (laughs) But this motherfucker, but she said, it must have been that I felt it and I thought it got stuck. But that was her instinct to yank her pinky out. She said, what would you have done? I said, Mm. I would have held the thing and slid my pinky out. She said, oh. Well, I can't help that I'm a bull. <laughs> I'm an Aries. It's literally my sign. <laughs> Tell me your damn story. Okay, so for my story, we're going to London, Ohio. Oh, I was about to be like, across the pond. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. I mean, Ohio. Mm-hmm. You know, but... <laughs> Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I love it. Welcome to my brain. (laughs) Well, all right. About London, Ohio. Let me tell you. It's my least favorite word to say. Rural. Rural. Well, maybe second least. Well, okay. For sure, second least favorite R word. Yes, well, if y'all know me, you know my first. <sighs> I said I told somebody that today at work about how you have this incredible, irrational fear of this word. Yes, it's because it's Beetlejuice, and if you say it multiple times, one will appear, and I am telling you, it happens. So picture your typical small town, and you've got London, Ohio. Well, in 1981, there was this married couple named Keith and Diane Williams. And let me tell you, I kept singing that fucking song, Little Diddy, about Keith and Diane. Oh, I was like, (laughs) what song? I could not. I was like, what fucking song is she talking about? No, I just kept doing that. And I was like, it's not the song, Donna. It's not the song. But I could not stop it. That's why I didn't know what song you were saying. (laughs) Context clues, Carrie. Context clues. But okay, Keith and Diane Williams. They were childhood sweethearts, and at this point, they had been married for six years, and now they had a four-year-old daughter named Raven. They decided they wanted even more seclusion and privacy than what the town of London offered. And so when Diane found this cabin in the woods, it seemed like the perfect retreat for their family, And exactly where they wanted to raise Raven. Diane was positively giddy over it. And Keith was all about it too because he loved to hunt. And it was going to be their private oasis. Keith worked during the day as a welder. And at night he went to school because he was doing this apprentice program. So that meant for around 12 hours a day, Diane and Raven were by themselves at home. But Diane wasn't nervous about it. She had lived in the country all her life. Diane had heard rustling and scampering. But again, she was used to animals being outside because of living in the country. And now they're in the woods. Deer, squirrels, raccoons, all the things. But one night, Diane was in the kitchen putting dishes into the sink Okay, Jack and uh, Keith and Diane, you sing, but in the kitchen with Dinah, you don't sing? (laughs) Missed opportunity there. Damn. I hate when you point out my flaws, Carrie. (laughs) 
Well, she was putting dishes into the sink after she and Raven had had dinner. They had a nice window that was over the sink, and she was looking out at the trees. And she heard that rustling sound again. This time, she noticed that she could see something. So she squinted her eyes to adjust to the darkness of the night better, and she can make out a faint set of eyes. So she was a little startled, but she was a logical person. And so she was like, oh, a stray dog. He's looking for scraps or something. Okay, and she dismissed it. So she went to the dining room to clean off the table, wipe it down. Well, there they have a bigger picture window, and she happened to feel the eyes on her again. So she looked out the window, and there they were. But this time, she could see them better, and she noticed that they were much too tall to be a dog because they were at eye level. Diane wasn't taking any chances then. She was sure that she had a peeping Tom around the house, so she went room to room, closing the curtains and the blinds, or trying to. She and this one set of blinds got in a fight when they didn't want to cooperate with her. We've all been there. Especially when you're in a fucking rush. Yes. Trying to stop a peeping Tom. (laughs) I mean, not that I have experience with one, but you get the point. Yes. Well, of course, during this tantrum, her husband Keith came home. So she explained what happened and he calmed her down, tried to assure her that no one was out there. He took a flashlight outside to look for any tracks or footprints and couldn't find any. He told her it was probably her own reflection and just nerves of it being night. But Diane knew that she felt she was being watched and she wasn't making it up. One month later, there was another incident where Diane had just tucked Raven into bed and was doing the nightly clean downstairs, and she sees the eyes again. But this time, they were closer, and she knew it wasn't just her reflection. She backed out of the kitchen and just stood in the shadows of her hall, staring. Then she decided, you know what? I'm going to turn off all these lights. If the person's going to watch me intrude on my privacy, I'm not giving them a free show. Because there were a few lamps on, some overhead lights, etc. She was basically in a fishbowl for this peeping Tom. So she switched each light off one by one. And the last one was by the phone on the wall. You remember those? Mm-hmm. Well, she called 911 and told them that someone was outside of her house and she needed them ASAP. And then she waited in the darkness. She could hear the crunching of leaves and that person was moving around searching for her. But what she couldn't hear were sirens. And she was growing more anxious by the second. Where were the police? The outside noises were getting closer to her general direction. And she didn't know what she was going to do. But just then, she heard a loud knock that startled her, but it was the police at her front door. So they searched the property, told her she needed to calm down. Because that, in the history of people needing to fucking calm down, telling someone to calm down has never fucking worked. I know. I know. This is going to really make you calm down, girl. Hold on. Well, of course... Keith pulled up at the same time and the officers began talking to him and literally said, maybe we have an anxious wife here. Oh, fuck them. Right? Jesus fucking, oh my, you know what? I'm just going to be quiet over here. (laughs) Right? And 
Keith agreed. He was pissed at Diane. He was basically telling her, hey, you wanted to move here. I cannot prove to you that no one was out there and you cannot prove to me that anyone was out there. So we need to just agree to disagree. We're not moving anywhere else. This was your idea. You know, we all know those kind of fights. I mean, did she ask to move somewhere else or was she just making a statement of, uh, somebody was fucking here? Right. That's that's it. But he's saying, if you don't feel safe here, like, that's what he's saying. You just don't feel safe here, but we can't move anywhere else. So here Suck you go. Suck it up, buttercup. Uh-huh. Well, fuck you. Because uh, you'd be singing a different fucking tune if and when something happens to her. Exactly. But everything calmed down for a bit. There was still some uneasiness about the property, but Diane didn't feel watched all the time at night. And Keith was happy that she wasn't calling the police or, you know, quote, having a breakdown. Bothering him. Mm -hmm. How dare she? (laughs) However, four months later, in late November, Diane would get the proof she needed. Keith got up before daylight, before anyone else, and decided, hey, you know, everything's been going great. I'm going to go get some donuts for everyone. Which, okay, husband win right there. I mean, he's a feeder. I'm here for it. Yeah. (laughs) So something to note is that it had just freshly snowed. And also that means it was cold as fuck, too. Keith got in his car, breathing into his hands, rubbing them together to warm up, waiting for his car to warm up, too. It's butt crack o'clock, so he rubbed his eyes trying to wake himself up. Then kind of looks at himself in the rearview mirror, fixes it like we all do, and then rubs his eyes again. And when he opens them, he sees eyes staring back at him in the rearview mirror. Oh, it's all fun and games until you see it, Keith. (laughs) Well, Keith quickly jumped out of the car, looking around with a flashlight for whatever he saw in the mirror. But then he laughs to himself like, yep. Diane has got you on high alert, and now you're paranoid. Now you're seeing things. But then his flashlight panned over, and he saw that there were tracks in the snow. But it's the snow on the roof of his house. Then his heart sank, because he knew that Diane had been right all along. Someone or something had been out here. Color me fucking surprised. I love this colorful commentary. Look, and poor Keith's defense, um, I forgot to take my medicine today. (laughs) And I didn't take it until like really late. So I've kind of been wanting to punch everybody in the fucking face today. (laughs) So uh, sorry, Keith. Keith had to forego the donut run now because he had proof that his family could potentially be in danger. He called up his buddy old pal, Dennis. They have known each other for a while, and they had been hunting partners for a while, too. Also, Keith went inside and got a 30-30 rifle. Dennis was like, dude, what the fuck you got that for? Because you know you can't fire that around here. But Keith wasn't taking any chances. He was spooked. The tracks being on his roof had really thrown him. And, well, Dennis kind of just shook his head and smirked. But when Keith showed Dennis the tracks on the roof, they were able to find the next set of tracks, and they were 20 feet away from the house. Both Keith and Dennis looked at each other in amazement and both puzzled because nothing can really do that. Whatever it was jumped off the back of Keith's house 
and landed 20 feet out in his yard. Just not normal. I'm sure Dennis at that point was happy that Keith had the 30-30 rifle. I wonder why they couldn't have it there. Like, were they like in, they were in the country, so it's not like they were in the city limits and you can't fire a gun. I don't know if it was that particular kind of rifle. Oh, okay, maybe. I don't know anything really about guns. Well, the guys inched closer to the tracks on the ground and were able to investigate more. The print was over 14 inches long. It looked human-ish, but definitely not human, if that makes sense. There were claws at the tip of the print, and there were two sets, so it seemed to be bipedal. Well, Keith and Dennis set out to track this creature down, put an end to this threat right here, right now. And they're hunters, so they've got the chops to track it down. Well, it's thick brush going through the woods, and so it's heart-pounding suspense because sometimes they would get separated, and with the crunching of the leaves or the movement of the brush, they wouldn't know if it was one of them or the creature. So this cat-and-mouse game went on for the morning. Now the sun's up, but the guys were determined to not turn back until they caught whoever, whatever, they just knew they were going to be victorious. I just want to know what Diane was doing this whole time. Like, was she sitting at her fucking kitchen table, drinking her coffee with the biggest smirk on her face going, told you so, told you so, (laughs) told you so. Right? No, she probably woke up and said, where the fuck is Keith? You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to get donuts. The fucking hot and fresh light was flashing. (laughs) Well, also, let me break in and say that this story was also on Paranormal Witness on Sci-Fi. And Keith said this line that made me gasp. So he said that some animals are so smart, which I know, like foxes and stuff, But they're so smart that they can tell you're hunting them. So they'll circle back and basically start hunting you. Shit. I'm not cut out for that kind of life. I'm indoorsy all the way. What kind of animal? Did he say? No, he didn't say. But I'm thinking like a fox. I mean, could you have given a girl a hint? Right? I need uh, some like on-screen text of, hey, for y'all who... Like pop-up video style. Yes. (laughs) Bloop, bloop. Like, I need that for reals, though, because, like, literally, I was like, what? Anyway, they heard a rustling in the brush, ran toward it, and it led them to a clearing in the woods. So they stayed in the cover of the brush, but saw the tracks leading up to a small cabin in the clearing, like a 15 by 20 cabin. The tracks led straight to the back door of that cabin. So the two guys looked at each other with like, what the fuck expressions because animals don't open and shut doors. So either someone opened it and let the animal in or they have no idea what the fuck is going on. Well, Dennis has balls of steel and he starts beating on the side of the cabin And the door yelling like, come on, hello, know you're in there. But nothing happened. No one came out. And they didn't hear anything or anyone inside. So they had to leave because both of them have guns and potentially trespassing. And apparently the rifle Keith had, you shouldn't have had in those parts. So yeah. So they had walked a good distance away from Keith's home at this time. 
And they had used their spidey senses, hunter know-how, whatever. And they made it to the street. And they called Keith's dad to come get them because they both got guns, you know. They can't just be walking down the street with guns, like, rifles and shit. And they probably really don't know how to get back to Keith's house from, like, just in the woods because they were tracking the animals, not doing Hansel and Gretel shit to go back. Anyway, so Keith's dad picks him up and he's like, what the fuck are y'all guys up to and having to call my ass? And why are there no donuts? (laughs) Obviously, that's not what he said, but you know what I mean. Well, they tell Keith's dad and he's like, hmm, okay, well, this is going to sound weird, but I think I know the man who lives in that small cabin and he is one weird son of a bitch. Also, probably not what he said, but basically that's the gist of it. He explains that this man works at a local tire shop, but he really doesn't know that much about him, but he pretty much keeps to himself, hence a small cabin in the middle of the woods. Kind of screams, leave me the fuck alone. Kind of screams, Unabomber. (laughs) Well, fast forward a week and good old Dennis pulls up to Keith's house and Keith's like, hey, what's good? And Dennis is grinning ear to ear and he's like, Not this old tire that needs repair. Wink, wink. And so Keith is picking up what Dennis is laying down, gets in his truck, and they drive to that local tire shop. Again, London, Ohio is a rural town. Local tire shop. I feel like there's only a few, if not only one. So they're there, waiting for someone to help them. And the clerk yells out a name, George. So they both look at each other. Okay, now they have a name. And so now they wait to see what this guy looks like. And as if on cue, this man walks into the shadowed background of the tire shop and soon comes into the light and the men can see that he's older. He's tall and lanky, around 6'5", has very long arms and legs, you know, just all around lanky. And when he bent down and grabbed the tire, he lifted his head and peered Right at them, Keith said it was an immediate connection. There was something there. And he knew that all three of them felt it. And the more they looked at George, the more they took in his appearance. And they said that he had golden eyes. But it could have been more like amber, you know. But they were very intense. And they were almost in a trance while looking at him. And then just like that, he turned and was back in the shadows. So the guys waited for the tire to be fixed, the hole to be filled, whatever, so they could get one more look at George. But instead of George coming back out, he just rolled the tire out toward the lobby and the clerk when he was finished. So it's just like this lone tire rolling out there. Keith said that George knew that they were the ones who had tracked him to that cabin that day. Like he had felt that connection. Like he sensed it. Well, they loaded up the tire and was just kind of scratching their heads about that whole ordeal. And then they looked at the tire. And, you know, sometimes there's some chalk on the tire, Mm -hmm. like the pressure or whatever. Like, hey, this goes on left. I don't know. I've had chalk on mine. Yeah. Well, they had some chalk writing on theirs. But it was like in symbol form or whatever. It looks otherworldly. They didn't know what to make of it. If it was a warning, if it was... What? But they were like, all right, let's just get out of here. Who knows? 
Well, days passed and Keith didn't know what to do. If he called the police, he looked like the bad person here. Hey, I tracked this guy to his house, really have no proof that it was him. And I banged on his door, had a gun, went to his work. You know, like I'm harassing this guy and I have no proof. Right. If he told Diane, she would want to move ASAP and they didn't have the financial means to do that right then. So Keith felt stuck. He was torn up inside about how to protect his family. I love this. He told Diane, hey, when I'm going out of the house, I think it's a good idea if you call your sister and she comes over and stays with you and stuff, you know, just to be on the safe side. Okay. Was she not like, why? Right. So Diane knew that Keith had seen it too then. She knew he was scared. I don't understand how he thought that was going to be like, okay, okay, I'm going to play it cool. I'm going to play it cool. Right. But also, what's her sister going to do to help? You know, like, okay, so you've seen the man. I guess his thinking was maybe if she wasn't alone, the guy wouldn't make a move. Maybe. You know, he wanted to wait until they were alone. Maybe. But also, yeah, like, I'm not going to tell her I saw anything. I'm just going to randomly drop this knowledge on her, you know, of, hey, maybe your sister should come when I'm out. Like, also, you're out every day. So what's that? You know, I don't know. Really? Hmm. Okay, Keith. Well, three months went by. Then Dennis called Keith and said, basically, get in, loser. We're going for a ride. Well, they were driving, and it dawns on Keith where they're going. And Keith is like, wait, hold on. We can't do this. I know you're going to that cabin, and dude, we can't. Dennis is like, nah, dude. My dad heard that George died on his police scanner. And I mean, Dennis's dad is like the male version of my mama, basically, I guess. But seriously, he heard it on the police scanner that the dude, you know, like, you know, description, blah, 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 of the cabin, blah, 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 put it together, all the things. Anyway, so now Keith is like, oh, okay, well, he did, so go ahead. They get to the clearing, and there's a sheriff there. So he's like, nah, y'all shouldn't be here. But Dennis knew him, and Keith kind of did. And so, you know, they get to talking and bullshitting around. And they ask if anything strange was in there, and the deputy is like, okay, okay. Y'all have to see this. So they go in that small cabin and there's nothing. It didn't really have any furniture or anything personal. And they're like, yeah, that's fucking odd. But they were kind of let down because that didn't give them any clarification on why he was stalking Keith's family. And the deputy was like, yeah, this whole place is strange, but this takes a cake. And he opened up a door And they were all hit with the smell of wet dog. The walls of this small room were completely plated in steel, held together by metal strips. There was a 10-foot metal chain that was bolted into the floor. And when they looked closer, the walls had scratches and claw marks all over. Some were rusted over, some were fresh. But you could tell that they had been, you know, like, just from different times. But something had been restrained back here. And everyone was thinking the same thing. 
but no one ever said anything aloud because it was impossible to be what they were thinking. Do you know what they were thinking? A werewolf? Yes! (laughs) You're so apprehensive. (laughs) Well, because I don't know. (laughs) But yes, a werewolf. (laughs) Of course, there is no way to know for certain. But what is certain, though, immediately after George's death, the stalking at Keith and Diane's house stopped. And the only thing left behind by George was a jar of silver dollars. And George was buried in an unmarked grave in London, Ohio. And I believe his cabin was demolished. So it's no longer standing there. Do we know how he died? No. Well, what the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. Now, he was an older man, so... Well, okay, and why was he stalking them? And why did he not have anything? And why just silver dollars? And why were there scratches? What was he trying to get out of? The room. Why? Because he... Okay. Would lock himself in yes. there so he wouldn't get out? Yes, because he didn't want to hurt people. Okay, you never watched a lot of sci-fi stuff, <laughs> supernatural stuff. You're like, and why are there scratches on the wall? Well... Okay, because um, other people are considerate, Carrie, and when they have something bad that they are transformed into, well, why is it? What if he? What if he wanted to be a vamp, a werewolf? I mean, <laughs> what if he was the Bruce of werewolves, and he like from Finding Nemo? Mm-hmm. He might have been, but yeah, so he might have been like stalking them, but he was trying to be. Like, trying to resist, but on certain nights, he could get loose, you know? And yeah. so, it was like, you know, ee. You think he made that noise? Ee. <laughs> 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 also, though, some people say that it could have been a skinwalker. Because there, like, were Native American lore around that area, and we know with skinwalkers that have covered before, you know, it could have been something like that. But I don't think it's skinwalker. I think it was a werewolf. Wait, you you believe in werewolves? You think I want it's real? To. No, girl. I want to. No, girl. Why? Because no. Why? No. <laughs> it's like anatomically impossible. You can't just morph into something. He's not a fucking amoeba. I don't know if Amoeba's morph. Oh, God bless. <laughs> He's not jello. Just because he hasn't been caught and a werewolf hasn't been caught okay, doesn't mean. So you're telling me in the history of all the things, no werewolf has ever been caught. Well, there's things in the ocean that we don't know. Okay, but that's because we don't have the capabilities of going that deep. Okay, well. But they are on this plane like not plane because that's on this plane but they are on this level ground yeah and they can look just like a human until they don't so you're telling me that some hunter at some point hasn't accidentally killed one it's a it's an impossibility i don't think it's impossible i don't buy that he was a werewolf i buy that he was a peeping tom and was like fuck when they saw him and that 
he had, he probably knew some form of shorthand or he spoke another language that they didn't know. And that was what he wrote in the chalk on the tire. Or he had handwriting like me and only he could fucking read it. And sometimes you and sometimes not even me. I don't know. Well, how do you account for the room? One, he had a dog that was a bad dog. Or... But, like, the scratches were, like, all the way up to the walls. Like, all the way up to the ceiling. Okay, he had a cat. And also, on Paranormal Witness, Keith and Diane are no longer together. I feel like she wouldn't lie about the things she saw and stuff. Because, why? Right. Well, I believe they saw what they saw. I just don't think it's what they think it is. So what do you think they saw? A person spying on them. Okay, but the person had odd-shaped feet that were 14 inches, like okay, over 14 no. inches long so with the claws on the toes. Okay, not that. Okay. Then she saw a dog. Over 14 inches long. I don't know about that, but I do know that when it's dark, there's glares. Who fucking knows? You can't always trust what you see. Well, she saw it like four times. True. I mean, she didn't think to snap a fucking picture. Did we ever see his house with all those scratches? Did they show pictures from, like, when they cleaned his house up? No. Of course they didn't. Well, and it was in the 80s. Yeah, but nobody was like, oh, let's take a picture. Well, um, I don't know. Well, they they would have had it for that episode if they, you know. I can't explain what she saw, but I really don't buy that there are werewolves. I mean, how? how? I don't know. I mean, I just don't understand how your body can literally morph into something else. Mine can barely heal from a fucking paper cut. Well, that's why we can never be werewolves, Carrie. I just really think in the history of all the things, there would be something. Maybe there is, but it's just been hidden. Just like alien stuff. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say things are impossible when anything is possible. Take that, Hallmark. (laughs) She rolled her eyes at me, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. This bitch. (laughs) Just fucking put that on a sticky note and stick it on your desk for your positivity of the day. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a cat hanging onto the tree limb. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. (laughs) Nothing's impossible when everything's possible. <laughs> I mean, I think that should be on our ne- our next merch line. <laughs> Where am I? <sighs> I mean, I see that on a mug right now. I can see it. Hashtag toxic positivity. <laughs> Well, at least we agreed on my case. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but your case was sad as fuck. And fuck Nelson Hart. Because I really do think, don't sue us allegedly that he did it. But. And allegedly that Jennifer knew about it and or helped. I don't think helped. I don't think helped. But I think she set it in motion and knew. Like, because, again, if she didn't know what was going on, she would have been like, 
You're not driving them by yourself. You're not going to be there by yourself with them. Because this is like once in their whole fucking lifetime that he's going to be by themselves. Like, what? And she's just going to be like, okay, for an hour. Bye. No. No. Just wait. Yes. No, 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 no. You cannot tell me she didn't have one iota of a thing to say. Well. And she and his mother stood by him the whole time. Uh-huh. See, mm-mm. I don't, I don't buy it. And, of course, his mom's going to stand by him. I don't know. She said he was ugly. Yeah, she said he's ugly. But I don't know. That's such a bizarre dynamic. Mm-hmm. But, again, like I said, either way... Karen and Krista are gone, and that is the most heartbreaking and really the whole fucking point of this. The whole point in such a senseless loss. The other thing that is important, too, though, is that it really did set in motion a precedent in court to stop these Mr. Big operations that so many other countries have deemed a human rights violation. Yeah. And a, well, like in America, obviously we have a unconstitutional, but again, a human rights violation. Yeah. So that's important too. Like it's not just, oh, well, it got him off. When you look at the bigger picture of Mm -hmm. what those Mr. Big operations mean. Mm Mm-hmm. And the damage that can be done from them, it's like, man, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, nothing, I feel like nothing good comes from that. No, it really doesn't. But, you know, I did see one interview online where a journalist had a telephone conversation with Mr. Big, and he's who came up with the whole operations, like the concept of the operations themselves, And, you know, he recognizes or he said that he recognizes that without proper oversight that, you know, it can go awry and that it can have some negative things to it. But that he firmly believes that Nelson killed the girls, whether it was thrown out of court or not. He was like, no, like, I know what he told me and that interaction. And I think that guy was retired police. And he's like, no, he did it. Yeah. Y'all tell us what you think. Do you think he did it? Do you think that Mr. Big Operations should be admissible in court? Obviously, respect each other's opinions. Yeah, please. Be kind. And do you think that old boy was a werewolf? George. George. George of the werewolves? (laughs) My word document, I titled it Werewolf in London dot 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 Ohio. What's funny is I actually thought that whenever you, whenever you said, whatever, you asked me, like, do you know what he is? And I was like, werewolf. And I was like, in London. Like, I thought that. That's I just hilarious. didn't say it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, thank y'all so much, especially the Creepinati, because we had a Creepinati live, and y'all came through, gave us the reviews we needed to push us over, and we have more than a thousand reviews on Apple Podcast. 
So thank y'all so freaking much. It says 1K now? It does. Donna has been waiting for it to say 1K for so long. Yes. Thank y'all so much. Yes. Seriously. Yeah. Keep those reviews coming, though, because it really does help us. So thank y'all so much for reviewing. Keep on reviewing us. Follow us on social media at the APC Podcast. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.